Gentili telespettatori, buonasera, qui Roma Stadio Olimpico, teatro di un nuovo eccezionale avvenimento nella storia del campionato italiano a girone unico. Across this nation of ours it appears that the populace has gone to the polls in record numbers. Perhaps more than 71 million of us have trooped to our polling places today and cast our ballots for the presidency of the United States. Salva con un'entrata prodigiosa il portiere Sarpi su Piro di Nilsson. Yeah, 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 those are the Beatles, those are, and this is Beatleland, formerly known as Britain where an epidemic called Beatlemania has seized the teenage population, especially female. Some of the girls can write, and they belong to the Beatle fan club. Tira Bulgarelli, tocca per Fogli. Record, assegnato Fogli, Bologna 1, Internazionale 0, trentesimo di gara. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Greatest Games podcast on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, opposite me is Jonathan Wilson and joining us today is Dan Carney, North London polymath, freelance writer, music writer and producer and lecturer and dream weaver. Dan, how are you? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All things to all people, sir. Some things to some people, at least. Um, <laughs> well, well, assumingly that, that it will be for our listeners as well. I'm very good, and many thanks for having me on. Not at all. Now, today we go to uh, we go to Italy, 1964, to be more precise, to the climax of the Serie A season, which saw Bologna be into 2-0 in a championship-deciding playoff. Dan, why have you chosen this game? Um, in a nutshell, because... Um, Leading up to this game from a Bologna perspective was an absolutely bonkers chain of events um, involving a very, in retrospect, spurious accusation of doping, which turned out to be um, shaky, to say the least. And then the sudden, very tragic death of their chairman, Mm. um, I think four days um, or a few days shy of his 30th year in charge of the club or his 30th anniversary. Mm Mm-hmm. And a few days shy of the um, deciding playoff. Mm. So it, it was just this, um, the way that the season unfolded. I mean, you could sell the film rights to it, but even then they would probably say, tone the script down a bit. You know, it's, mm-hmm. um, um, it's quite an explosive story. It's an amazing story. Mm. Um, and, and, it, and it ends with, um, like you were saying a moment ago, Jonathan, you know, there was almost no other ending you could script for it. It was this kind of, triumph of the underdog you know or very much was portrayed as such in the press um or the non-milanese press (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, a big distinction yeah yeah, so it was this kind of um you know it it sort of lends itself to this kind of tale of this conspiracy by the footballing establishment to, Mm -hmm. to rob the underdog of their of their glory but then the underdog kind of snatching back that glory yeah and being vindicated indeed and of course i mean as far as I'm aware, it's the first and only time in Serie A history that we've had a championship deciding player. That is correct, yeah. Which but is I mean, quite remarkable. Yes, but it does help when you start counting goal difference or goal average, which they didn't, which is a problem here. It wasn't that they finished no, no, of course. exactly level but on that, points and goals scored and goals against. But that's my point, it was, though. They hadn't worked out a way <laughs> to separate <laughs> yeah. teams. If only there was level. a way we could... We could <laughs> but they do still it. don't do it on goal difference or... Or, or goal scored, do they, in Italy? Or, or they didn't do for many years. It, it was, was goal o- average for a while. 
But it, but it was. But it, I remember in the nineties, certainly we watched, you know, football Italia. They would do it on a deciding playoff if it was if it was the same points down I mean, the league or and for the title to, to and relegation. Extent, yeah. Why not? You know. It's, well, I think it's it's it's, it's it the ultimate it cup so, final. So exciting. Um, you know, and, and you know, what what's football about? It's about glory. Yeah. It's about drama. But you don't think it's the ultimate cup final because a cup final, the longer a, a tournament is, the harder it is to win a cup, of course, and, and that makes it a bit more special. Um, which is why you know Community Shield is not as special as the Champions League, perhaps for a number of reasons. But but if you think about it, if the cup final is actually the, the, the climax, is it's the league season. You know, you have to play. 30 or however many games they would have played and then you then you're into this game in winner takes all so would it have been a 34 game season 34 game yeah. season at that point yeah. I mean that's that's longer than Europa League <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the problem yeah. the problem with that is uh, if over the league season but my team and your team we finished level at the top mm-hmm. on like, 50 points each whatever mm-hmm. Um, two points to win on the ceiling here. Obviously, 50 points <laughs> would not win the title if it's three points to win. Indeed. And I've got a goal of a plus 60 and yours is no. naught. Uh-huh. I'd feel pretty aggrieved when we go to the playoff and you spawn one in Yeah, in, in, in the last minute after yeah. I've hit the bar four times. I'm not times saying I agree with it. Six clear penalties turned down. Hmm. Well, I'm saying I agree. And I think goal difference is, is a perfectly good way of doing it. I mean, in, in Spain, of course, they do head-to-head between the two teams. But it provides that drama that you mentioned moments earlier, which it did here. But I'm surprised, though, in Italy, it's the first and only time it's happened. Well, I'm also surprised. I mean, you know, the, the thing you alluded to there, this story is so incredible. Yeah. Why is there not a film of it? Why do we not know about this? Why is this not talked about? Mm. Well, it's, if, it's such a preposterous string of events. Yeah. Presumably, if there is going to be a film in it, then perhaps... At the end of this podcast, people may want us to be executive producers or something. Ha- happy to <laughs> we take up that mantle. <laughs> Living in uh, the glory of Bologna and your your fine work, of course, down on this topic. Um, but yes, uh, it was it was an incredible season. So so Bologna. I mean, going into this season, you, you mentioned that Bologna were the underdogs uh, and so on and so forth. What was the lie of the land in in Serie A um, around that time? They were the underdogs, but they were building towards something really good. Mm-hmm. Um, Bernardini at that point, I think, was going into his third season in charge. And I think they were coming. This is, off, this is the coach, Fulvio Bernardini. Fulvio Bernardini, yeah. yeah, sorry. And they were coming off the back of two fourth place finishes, I mm-hmm. think. Um, the general lie of the land was that um, the two Milan clubs and Juventus had won for the last 10 years, except for 1956. Um, yeah, 1956, when Bernardini himself won it with Fiorentina. So mm-hmm. he'd been the only manager um, to break that mono- that Milanese um, Turin monopoly. Mm. And, and Bernardini um, is a is a fascinating figure. I mean, he clearly is one of the great tactical masters mm. of Italian football. Mm. Uh, he played, and under he's or- in good company in that. <clears throat> yeah, that group uh, he well. played under Op Advice uh, at Inter in the late twenties. Uh, Op Advice is, is still mm. the youngest ever coach to win Serie A. Uh, he's the first foreign coach to well, he was he won the first Serie A, but he, you know he's the first foreign coach yep. to to win the Italian national title, whatever form that took. Mm-hmm. Um, Vice subsequently then won the title twice with Bologna in uh, the early part of the in chairman's the, reign. Yeah, Dallara uh, under Dallara. Um, uh, Vice is then forced out because he's he's Jewish. So when the Nuremberg laws come in, uh, he he leaves. He goes to Paris and ends up um, and going to the Netherlands. Um and 
his team essentially go on to win two more titles. Mm. So the, the the last of those titles, so the last title Bologna won before this one, mm-hmm. seven of the regular starting 11 had played for Vice. Mm-hmm. Vice uh, is is arrested and, and dies at, at Auschwitz in, in early 1943. Uh, his family uh, were killed uh, before that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Vice I think, spent 13 months working as a, as a slave labourer um, at Auschwitz and his, his family were killed straight away. But Bernardini always said uh, that Weiss was a man who taught him mm. how to think about football. Mm-hmm. And and also in that team, and this is something he'll become significant later in the story, was Gipoviani, who is one of the great coaches of, of Milan, one of the, the great progenitors of Catenaccio. And he also said your know, Weiss was the absolute genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so Bernardini is, I think he's also, he's the only person ever to win the league with two teams who weren't into Milan or Juve. So Benedini is a is a very, very special figure. He's got he's got the the pedigree of, of where he learns football, but he's also put into practice in a, a two teams mm-hmm. who are not part of that that ultimate elite. Yeah. So, um, so underrated outside Italy, I yeah. think. Yeah. So and so I, when we call Bologna underdogs, I mean there's you know what I mean? Because also they've underdogs won dogs and un, there's underdogs and underdogs. There is. Because yeah, they've, yeah. they've won six Serie A titles they going had, into that season. But the last one was in 41. True. And um, also. So it hadn't been for a while. They, yeah, they. Um, uh, would you call them a sleeping giant? I would compare them to. Um, because Dallara, Renato Dallara, the chairman, was quite thrifty mm-hmm. um, and was beginning to come under quite a lot of criticism at that point because Mm -hmm. they hadn't won anything for for eons Mm. and hadn't won the league for a long time anyway. Um, So when Bernardini arrived, he had a guy called Carlo Montanari with him who who came to be recognised as one of the first, if not the first, sporting directors. Um, So the the setup was quite progressive really for that time and they were very thrifty and Mm -hmm. their recruitment was very, very good. Um, I would maybe compare them to Dortmund... Okay. Um, or see what you mean. At, even maybe Atalanta. Yeah, I see what um, you mean. Yeah. In that they had this very strong homegrown core, or mm-hmm. reasonably strong homegrown core of up and coming Italian talent, players like Giacomo Bulgarelli, um, Romano Fogli, but, but they supplemented it with um, reasonably cheap and very, very promising um, foreign talent. Mm. So, so, yeah, there's underdogs and there's underdogs, but they, I don't think anybody would have been putting much money on them to win the title at the beginning of that sure. season. So in terms and, of- and the two most significant foreign players they bring in are Harold Nielsen, the, the young Danish centre forward who uh, is top scorer. <laughs> yeah, he fin- season, finishes the season top scorer. top scorer with 21 goals. Yeah. And then yes. also the, the sort of the creative midfield of number 10, Helmut Haller, who of course mm. goes on to score the first goal in the 1966 World Cup final. Indeed. One of, one of the great German players of the era, West German players of the era. Mm. So yes, yeah, so we have uh, Bologna in terms, of, in terms of going after the title, underdog, uh, up against the mighty Inter. Herrera's second season, I think that was. Yeah, I mean, when you, point. when you mention Herrera, you think, blimey, um, you know, I mean, obviously they went on to, you know, the, yeah, the, I mean, his, the European his Cup Grande final Inter, and so on. Yeah. It re- I mean, they won the European Cup in the season we're talking about, yeah. which um, arguably knackered them out for the playoffs. So <laughs> it all feeds into the narrative. But he, that Inter team really got going the season after. So, um, no, so this, yeah, this was Herrera going into his fourth season. So he arrived in oh, okay. 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 so He was pretty established. I mean, he'd, I stand correct. he'd radically changed the way he played. You know, he'd, he'd always been a very sort of pragmatic in all the worst senses of that term <laughs> coach. Uh, but... And he had success at Barcelona doing that. 
Uh, but then he, he gets to Italy and finds a whole new level of defensive organization mm-hmm. and realizes he has to change. Yeah. And so all the cynicism he, he used to exercise, and you know, there's all kinds of allegations at Barcelona about mm. the use of illegal supplements and, and whatever. Uh, he then marries that to Catanaccio and playing his very defensive style. Mm-hmm. And you, you look at the names in this team, it, you know, it, it is the, they are the great Inter players. It is the Grande Inter. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were champions going into this season yeah. as well. So but for, they, had, they had already won mm. one Scudetto. So Luis Suarez, the, the great Spanish playmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, Facchetti, one of the first great attacking mm. left-backs. Borgnich, a very solid uh, man-marking right-back. Um, Gerard, the the Brazilian, the, the Donante, the the right winger who got up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know it's a it's it's it is the great side. Yeah. So for for Bologna to pick them to the title was was quite something. I mean, An amazing achievement. And I think yeah. if memory serves, Inter had hammered them the season before. I think beaten them four mm-hmm. 0 Yeah. At which point, um, Bernardini had done the kind of placatory post-match interview saying, you know, this takes time, everyone. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're saying things like that, it kind of speaks for itself. <laughs> Give him more time. Give yeah, it, they so still they, said that in the 60s. <laughs> I think Jair scored twice in the first half. Yeah. I mean, they just absolutely destroyed them. But that season, though, the season we're talking about, Bologna winning the league, they only lost two matches all season. That's right. And I think they... Which is um, a phenomenal record. Yeah, I mean, even in that era, they kept, I think... Can't remember how, off the top of my head how many clean sheets they kept, but mm-hmm. it was a lot. They only conceded w- more than one goal on like three occasions. Yeah, one of them to Inter, they <coughs> beat Bologna two one, but I they, think they drew nil nil. But that was much earlier on in the season. I mean, yeah, so in, for the whole season they only conceded eighteen goals in yeah. thirty four games. I mean, that's just that's remarkable. Capello, Milan's Capello esque, you know, whatever you want to call it. But um, I think a lot of that was because in the close season they signed William Negri, yeah. the Italian goalkeeper. And I think the season before they'd used three goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. Um, so he heralded this kind of era of defensive consistency. Uh-huh. And then I think three of the the back the the defensive players played every single league game. Romano Folli, the Fogli, the midfielder, played thirty three of the league games. So they had this kind of solid core that they hadn't had previously because mm-hmm. the season before they, they had finished as the top scorers, I think. Right. I think Nielsen got 19 that season. Mm. So um, I mean, would you say that the success of this side or the, or the season, the way it pans out, is built on tactics and, and shrewd business? Because you said he was you know, quite thrifty and they brought in a sporting director. What was it, a sort of combina- a perfect combination of, of all these yeah, things? Yeah, it was like an alignment of the planets, I oh, yeah. suppose. Um, <laughs> Jonathan probably, well, undoubtedly knows a lot more than I do about Bernardini's overall approach, but my understanding is that he sort of, fa- broadly speaking, favoured the kind of aesthetic, beautiful football over... Um, pragmatism, but at the, the, so it's a real it's a real opposite of approach compared to Herrera into then. Well, he took a more Bernardini took a more pragmatic approach in the playoff itself, right. um, which arguably got them over the line. Mm-hmm. But but even with his kind of preference for the aesthetic, he they 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 got this defensive solidity and and just everything worked for them that season. Mm. Okay, well let's have a quick break and then uh, after which we'll talk about the match itself. See you in a moment, everybody. Manovra fogli si piazza inizia riceve. Stupendo gol, 39esimo del secondo tempo, ha raddoppiato Nielsen, lanciato questa volta da Fogli. Bologna 2, Internazionale 0.
Welcome back to Greatest Games or Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. Right then, gentlemen. So we talked a bit about the season there, and of course it all climaxes in this in this one-off game, uh, which is quite great. I mean, to, you know, they're, they're on they finish on fifty-four points each. Bologna had a goal difference of plus thirty-six. Inter had plus thirty-three. So very close. Obviously, in, in, in certainly in English money, Bologna would have been handed the title there and then. With that, with that extra three goals, but it, it shows you how close it was. Definitely over the season, there was quite a bad-tempered meeting um, <laughs> at, at a place called the Hotel Jolly, which I, I think is in <laughs> Bologna, between league officials and journalists. And what's his name? Gualtiero Zanetti, who who was from one of the Milanese um, papers, the name of which escapes me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that, uh... <laughs> um, but but he <laughs> checking his notes very audibly there, Not but. Sure. Um, he he wanted the solution to be that Bologna would be retrospectively awarded the 1927 <laughs> um, league title <laughs> because at that point Torino had been had had it rescinded for match fixing. Right, okay. And Bologna had come second, but then the president of the league at the time, or the Fede Calcio at the time, mm-hmm. was Leandro Arpinati, who went on to achieve notoriety as a fascist politician. Um, he didn't do that because he was from Bologna and didn't want to be accused of um, favouring his of, own yeah, team. Yeah, exactly yeah. of, of favouritism. So, so there was there was this kind of quite strange <laughs> meeting. Um, at which point, um, at the end of which, apparently they did decide to go with that solution, um, according to a journalist called Italo Cucci, who was a young writer at the time, um, and who I exchanged some emails with about this. Um, and Zanetti and the other journalists there were told not to reveal the outcome of the meeting until the um, the federation or the league did a few mm. days later. So they went away and guess what? Started talking about it. Mm. Um, and for this reason, apparently, um, that decision was then reversed and they decided on a playoff. I didn't include that information in my piece because it wasn't absolutely conclusive, right, the stuff okay. I found about it, but that was apparently what happened. Flipping heck. So this stuff was sort of kind of culturally conditioned mm-hmm. to think of as this terrifically important sporting kind yeah. of decision, you know, it was quite arbitrary in the end. <laughs> this is what we're going to do. Don't tell anyone. Yeah. Right, you've told someone, so we're going to do the other thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's <laughs> kind of, <laughs> it sort of strikes me as quite arbitrary if that yeah. was the way it planned out, uh-huh. it played out. Were FIFA involved with that kind of... Uh... <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, by this point, the you know, the police had been involved, oh, you know, no literally yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with the doping I mean, I think the, do- the doping sure. was sort of... Re- so yeah, let, well, let, let, let's take it back to the that. beginning of March. Okay. So beginning of March, uh, 11 games to go, and Bologna are two points clear into three points clear of Milan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and looking well set, they're probably in the best form of, of any of the three, mm-hmm. uh, which on March the 4th, news breaks that five of their players have tested positive for amphetamines. Mm in an earlier game against Torino, uh, at which all hell breaks loose. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, the street demonstrations in, in Bologna... That night, there's a huge public gathering. People take to the streets and there's this kind of atmosphere of grievance and defiance, um, driven primarily by the feeling that this is a conspiracy by the Milan clubs, Um Aided by the sort of footballing establishment, mm. you know, to rob victory from the from the underdog kind of narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, posters go up around the city, kind of attesting to this. At one point, um, I think I think the the the, the gatherings were sort of largely um, non-violent, but at one point in Piazza Maggiore, at 
the centre of the city. Some cars with Milanese number plates are overturned by an angry mob. Blimey. Um, so it, it kind of kicks off. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the things I found fascinating in your piece was you describing how they were so proud of their new testing equipment, these photographs. The these, fracto-pav these... machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this is new for this season. Is that this is the first season they had it? I think so. I found a book called Bologna Carogna, which um, was a... Um, a collation of sort of related press articles collated by a, a film historian and journalist called Renzo Renzi, who mm-hmm. writes really brilliantly about it. Um, so a lot of a lot of the information was taken from that. But but yeah, this was the first season, as far as I understand it, that they had the technology available to sort of do this sort of wide wide scale testing. So um, in the se- in the prior seasons, I think some teams had been tested and charged and given small fines. Mm-hmm small punishments but this season they really went for it there was an anti-doping commission with various doctors from the different universities and um mm-hmm. and medics on hand to sort of facilitate it um so it was it was very very much a sort of new territory for it i think that season they tested prior to the bologna positive test they tested 595 urine samples um which was kind of unprecedentedly high. Yeah. And they'd all come back clean. And then the doctor in charge of it, he you know, he comes out and says, Well, we tested them three times, that's why it's taken because it was over a month after the it game. Was a, yeah, it was a, it was about a month before they revealed the And, and, and he you know, said we were so kind of concerned to get this right, we checked everything three times. Absolutely yeah. seismic kind of result. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well I was gonna say how rife was it, but clearly I mean clearly they thought it was, but the results <laughs> speak for themselves. Yeah, you know, if we well, ta- if we take them at yeah. the face value, of course, um, but that wasn't, you know, as you, as you say, and it clearly uh, affects Bologna the team. I mean, they're, you know, the next game uh, they they play some Dory, they win one nil, but they have two men sent off, mm. both for retaliation. So you can see that they're sort of they're unsettled. That I think there was a bit of siege mentality as well. I think Bernardini and Renato Dallara, the chairman, and also the mayor of Bologna at the time, I think gave these kind of interviews attesting or alluding to some kind of conspiracy. So the air was absolutely thick with resentment and grievance. But they've but also they- got this problem, haven't they, that they, the club can't officially complain about the decision because to do so puts them in breach of Federico's rules. So that's why the three uh, Bolognese lawyers decide yes. they have to... Yeah, so I think three days or maybe two days after the initial um, result becomes public, three lawyers lodge a complaint with the public prosecutor. Um saying that they think that skullduggery has occurred and, requ- <laughs> and, and requesting for a kind of counter-analysis. Mm-hmm. And th- this, is, this is a kind of quite interesting point in the story because he upholds the complaint and orders everything to do with the case, to do with the tests, um, to be seized by the police. So at this point, the kind of jurisdiction of the case passes from the league or the, the football federation mm-hmm. to the actual um, judiciary, to the, to the ordinary legal authorities, um, which... Sort of, as far as I can tell, prompted this kind of quite widespread debate in Italy about, well, you know, who should be overseeing this? Mm-hmm. I think the president of the Olympic Committee got involved at one point saying, you know, the integrity and authority of sports has been kind of undermined. Yeah. So but that... it, I mean, if, if the police, if the, the ordinary judiciary hadn't have got involved, then I don't think Bologna would have won that title. That Indeed, year. yeah. So... This all is rumbling away, of course. Well, I mean, and, and then the, the punishment is announced. Which yeah, is this this yes. game against Torino, which they've won, yeah. is awarded a 2-0 defeat. Yes. Torino given the game 2-0. Mm-hmm. And Benedini is given an 18-month uh, suspension. Mm-hmm. 
And I think one, and they had an extra point deducted. And, and um, an extra point deducted, yeah. So in, in the days of two points for a victory, that it's just seems a bit cruel, doesn't it? <laughs> just puts them slightly out of reach. Um, but yeah, no, that's absolutely right. That was what the Federation ruled. And and, and so suddenly this lead that they'd had mm. is gone. But I think they turned into it turned into a bit of a tug of war between the, the Football Federation and the ordinary judiciary, because at that point, the judicial investigation was rumbling on Mm -hmm. and it was becoming sort of increasingly clear that something was a bit wrong with these samples that had been tested. Uh Um, And at that point, the Federation kind of almost defiantly, as far as I can tell, kind of said, well, right, we're just going to issue the punishment and act on the results of our initial analysis. So it was all against this chaotic backdrop of this kind of administrative tug of war. You know. <laughs> and Bernardini does what any manager worth his salt is being banned would do. So then the next game is away at Roma. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there he is in the sound with a walkie-talkie. Uh, yeah, all oh, right. So is that obvious? I thought you were going to say he smuggled himself into uh, the the dressing room in the, no, there's, in the there's laundry no basket. In a long coat. <laughs> yeah. but the, 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 the footage of that is amazing. He's literally got dark glasses on. And a, Fake beard. Yeah. Like two kids in a long coat kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> there's no, no roof for here there with his beanie hat. Just, yeah. just out and out walkie-talkie songs. You can see do. the walkie-talkie. Yeah. Amazing. That's superb, isn't it? <laughs> so, I mean, so he was. So, how did how did the side respond then? Because you say they had a bit of a lead, and it, it sort of slightly dropped off. But come the end of the season, they were still there. They still managed to finish on the same points as Inter. Well, because on on May the sixteenth, mm-hmm. uh, somebody finally has the idea of testing the B samples. I mean, I don't know why. Did it, why do they not test them initially? Well, I, th- I think. Um, well, the league didn't. The federation didn't. But I think the the outcome of the police taking or the ordinary mm. legal system taking control of the investigation was that they did test the secondary sample. So so they were saved by, we should say, one of the league's rules at the time was mm-hmm. um, that all samples taken were split into two. So mm-hmm. you had an A sample, which was taken for testing to the Fractopav machine, mm-hmm. um, and the B sample, which was kept at the league headquarters. Both of these places are in Florence, I think. Mm-hmm. And the B um, samples came back. Negative. Throughout April, it became increasingly rumoured. Um, I think at one point, the experts appointed by the prosecutor to reanalyse the samples asked for an extension um, to deliver their results. So at that point, everybody was like talking about, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> you know, the, the, it was very heavily rumoured that the samples had been found to be clean, which is obviously quite a strange result. So yep. they wanted more time. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so... May the 4th, I think two months after the initial verdict, after the initial result is made public, I think they get the results of the counter-analysis. Mm-hmm. The second set of samples is entirely clean. Um, I think there was also a rumour that, uh, again, must stress this is a rumour, but in the samples that were tested, the amphetamine traces that were found were non-metabolised, so they hadn't actually... Um, they didn't show any sign of being passed through a human body. Mm. And also um, were, there not, were there not suggestions that the, the amount of amphetamine was so huge that it, it would have killed a man. That you, you'd never have taken that mm-hmm. amount. Yes, although I think, I think, um, if my translation of Italian press articles from the 60s <laughs> is right, that it was actually the Federation that issued that information on the day that the verdict was rescinded. Um from a context of, oh, well, we found this ridiculous amount of amphetamine in the sample when we tested them, but look, the police haven't let us proceed with our investigation. 
At which point all the Bolognese press are saying, well, that's a strange time to mention it, lads, isn't it? You know, about <laughs> two hours after your, your initial investigative work has been shown to be slightly flawed. Um, so I think, that, yeah, no, it's absolutely true. But I think that information came from the Federation. Bizarre. Right. You know, so it just gets straight. Everybody just <laughs> arguing over it. Also, I think, I think um, when they were interviewing anyone and everyone connected with the testing, um, one of the doctors that had been in charge of observing the players, um, of not actually conducting the test, but mm. observing the sort of um, taking various physiological measures of the players, had said that they showed absolutely no signs of being under the influence of amphetamines. Mm. Um, so there was all the, all these kind of tidbits floating around in the press. It's very murky to say the absolute least. It's a little bit murky. <laughs> the problem is now is that everybody's kind of died, really. Yeah. So Do you never get to the bottom of what actually happened i don't think you will no i mean but i mean the i I guess there's two things to be said about (laughs) that one is i i I guess the automatic assumption is it's herrera Mm -hmm. because let's be honest he liked a trick Uh, an an argentinian operating in italy jonathan what are you uh, (laughs) what are you alluding to how very dare (laughs) he he was inter as a as a sort of entity he was kind of massively Mm. Well, and we we know that they were uh, manipulating referees through Desha Scholti, the the Hungarian match fixer. Uh, we know that in 1966, uh, when they played Real Madrid in the semi final of the European Cup, there's another Hungarian referee called um, Gigi Vadas, who um, I don't think anyone will pick you up on that. <laughs> you would have. I will if I'd seen his name written. <laughs> nice, I saw it in your eyes. <laughs> right, start again. Um, <laughs> carry on. Um, and Gergi Vadas said that he'd he'd been approached by 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 Schulte by Inter Mm. and refused to be bought and guess what Real Madrid win the game and go through to the European Cup final Mm. Um, so Inter were up to a lot of stuff so I I think people naturally see that as another one of their things but actually the evidence suggests it might have been the other Milan team yeah, and these are you know these are kind of scraps and snippets, um, very very unconfirmed stuff. But the the two things that that have been mentioned do definitely implicate AC Milan. So uh, I mean, the Gippoviani. Well, the big one is Gippoviani, who was manager of Bologna. Um, I think four years by nineteen sixty eight. I think said while they're on their way to a cup winners cup tie. Remember that? Mm. One? Um, turned to the doctor at the time down Mastri. Um, and it was him that revealed it and said, everybody thinks uh, Inter, everybody blames Inter for this, but I, on the other hand, happened to know Milan was involved. Ooh. And Viani was I th- um, on the technical staff of Milan during the season in question. So, Well, and he was a Milan legend. I mean, you yeah, know, he's, mm. you know, he won the first European Cups. He was a you know a great coach. Yeah. But but also, you know... It's kind of pretty direct, really. Yeah, and Bernardini's old, mm-hmm. old teammates, you know, both of them have the same sort yeah, of yeah. mentor. I don't, I don't know. And he was, um, he did, to be fair, he, he was the subject of quite a bit of suspicion mm-hmm. um, during the events we're talking about, as well as Mil- um, Inter and Herrera. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he kind of leaned across and said this to Dal Mastri, the club doctor, and tapped his nose. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. know if this is relevant, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just want to flag this up. Um, but sadly, he died the following year, I think. Okay. So the trail goes quite cold. There's another... Um, I think uh, Renato Dallara, the chairman at the time, his nephew reported at some point afterwards that um, 
Renato Delara had been approached in January 1964 mm-hmm. um, by three men who offered him 30 million lira mm-hmm. um, to take part in a conspiracy um, against Inter, apparently. Mm-hmm. And I got, I got this. I, I had the trend. I had the the press article about this, and I got my Italian friend to to translate it again for me and say, you know, is that definitely what it's yeah, suggesting? Right, yeah. And she, and she said yes. So um, as far as I understand it, that also. Um, that was what he said, and that also implicates Milan. But we will never know. We will never know, sadly. But what we do know is is, <laughs> is how the league title finished, and so the the players are back in the Bologna side, presumably because they've been. They were um, none. The players weren't actually banned originally. Um, uh-huh. As far as I understand it, the thinking was that they might have been doped unknowingly. Right. Okay. So they were kind of not punished. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also that was a bit of diplomacy on on behalf of the federation because you would just be sort of erasing half of the Bologna first 11 you know and the cries of conspiracy at that point would have gone through the roof so I think that was a bit about Bernardini himself is he uh, still using the walkie talkie at this point when the the judgment just got accustomed to it you know yeah it's easier isn't it (laughs) Um, when the judgment was rescinded he was back in the fold the club doctor Poggiali was allowed back into the Mm -hmm. fold so everything was a um, restored indeed, um, and then I think they matched into result by result for the final games of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so finish level on points. But you yeah. then have a farcical moment of a mishearing yeah. at the final whistle. Oh, I love that. Um, <laughs> yes, so they beat. Oh God, I can't remember who they beat on not, the final day. Not to worry. Um, both teams won on the final day. I think Bologna in, beat Lazio one nil. Right, yeah, and Inter beat Atalanta. I think um, yeah, two one. That's right. And they'd all and, and rumours had already or they the press had already started talking about the possibility of a playoff to decide mm. um the champion if the teams finish level, Spareggio. Um and this was kind of exalted about over the PA at the end of the Bologna game. Somebody started talking about Spareggio. And the crowd apparently misheard this as Pareggio and took this to mean that Inter had drawn with uh, And apparently all hell broke loose, oh loose no. for about two minutes. Um, Renato Dallara, who, as we'll find out, hadn't been in the best shape all season, um, the chairman collapsed down into his chair and burst into tears and, and was sort of surrounded by a kind of concerned onlookers, including the mayor and mm. various city dignitaries. Um and then about two minutes later, the results started to come through on everybody's radios. And it was, oh, well, you know, playoff maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, what an utterly farcical moment. My goodness. Um, yeah, ridiculous. So, so the, yeah, they finish on 54 points each and then there's a playoff, which is played in the Olympico in, in Roma. That's right. Uh, and uh, I mean, the game wasn't a classic, but it, obviously Bologna no, got over the line, as you say. They did. And the, the game was played in um, 35 degree heat yeah. as well. And you, even with the sort of relatively, comparatively sedate sort of pace of football back then, when you look at the highlights, you can almost sort of... Well, a long season as well. Yeah. You didn't have the... the, the you, you know the medical and blah 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 the physios and so on that you exactly. have now you said a bit you, cruel really well it was I mean you said one of the Bologna players played sort of 33 of the 34 games you know I'm sure. of, I think about four or five of them had played yeah I'm sure it was, it was 33, quite like 34 that. games so going into that game you know it must be exhausting well, uh, they'd, they'd gone to Fregene in um, a Roman resort to do a bit of hot weather training which was where they heard that um, Renato Dallara had suddenly 
Which is four, um, four days before. Yeah. Yes, on June the 3rd, had gone to Milan um, to meet with Angelo Moratti, I think, and um, one of the bosses of the league to discuss so the details. Finer details yeah, yeah, details relating to the playoffs. Apparently, it became heated. Um, I think the meeting might have been about ticket revenue. Um, I have read that, I think, somewhere. And became heated, and he had a heart attack and died later that day in hospital. So that was four days before the game. Such a shame he didn't. He wasn't there to oh, see. Oh, it's it. it's desperately sad. Yeah, he, but then he, after all that, obviously there is only one outcome that is possible. There's no way yeah. that Bologna can be allowed to lose that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. And so yeah, Bologna. So I, I noticed here the same day as the. Uh, Bologna Inter playoff. It had a playoff for fifteenth between Sampdoria and Modena. Well, that was for the, actually, that was no. a relegation playoff. Was that? Oh, oh okay. Yeah, it was a relegation playoff because Sampdoria went down. Okay. Sampdoria, I think they won what two 0 did they? Or, or, or that's two? right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they they survived. But they said there was a relegation playoff as wow. well as the championship playoff. I didn't actually know that. Was, was that on the undercard? Yeah. <laughs> no, that, 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 that game was played. That was the warm up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was played in Milan that game. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Milan maybe were so aggrieved. Have to give them a game of football. You know, just say, oh, shut up and watch, concentrate on that while the, while the other teams go down south. But yeah, so, um, I mean, I think we should just go straight to the, the key moments of this match. Yeah, I mean, the first half, not a huge amount happens, but you do see a little bit of what Nielsen was all about. There's yeah. a nice little ball through from Perani, then yeah. sort of burst of pace takes him through two challenges mm. and the, the shot's uh, saved by Sapi. That was kind of, yeah, that was probably the most interesting mm. thing. But he, was, he was up front on his own. Patient game, mm-hmm. and Bernardini had in who was it? He was injured. Pursuti was injured, mm. the winger. Um, and rather than replacing him with Antonio Renner, who was a more established kind of reserve winger, he mm. picked Bruno Capra, um, who was a more defensive player, fullback. Um, so I think you know that the verdict seems to be this was to sort of draw Inter out and then maybe catch them on the break, mm. absorb them, and they they were very very well organised and kind of seemed to marshal them superbly. And f- eventually, fifteen minutes to go, there's a foul by Picci on <laughs> on Alla, and it kicks off, doesn't it? it? Yeah, it's very it, spicy, yeah. But the man who's most involved in, in that is Conchetta Labella, the referee. Well, yeah, he's, he's enjoying he's, it. Isn't he's he? three shoving people all over the place. <laughs> I've not seen the likes of it. Referee does at some point. He's shoving one particular player. I don't know who it is. And then he's bellowing at him to, to get out. And I thought to myself, I quite like that. Actually, I think referees took that approach a bit more than maybe. <laughs> there's a couple of like. There's a couple of guys in suits involved as well that you sort of briefly say that club officials trying to give me an ad deal, maybe steamed onto the pit, <laughs> yeah. which is it's very weird because it's just it's a free kick like 25 yards out. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's not a penalty. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. But then I suppose if you think about it, it's it, you're, you're getting on for the last knockings of the game. All that story that we've just heard, everyone's it, a bit hot and it, irritated. Even the weather's playing its yeah. part. It all goes down to this last kind of 15 minutes. That is what all this hoo ha is all about. So giving away a free kick on the edge of the box everyone's a little bit ratty by this point it's not that surprising I suppose in the in the context you know but then the free kick is hit and well, so uh, laid off Bulgarelli yeah. lays off to, to um, Foley yeah. and then his, his shot just flicks off for Ketty uh, which I think long foots uh-huh. Southy. Yeah, it's um again, it's a sort of underwhelming goal. Yeah, it is. It kind of in, yeah. Break the seal on this kind of <laughs> season-long deadlock. You know, it's um, but yeah. you know, it is what it is. Well, I was expecting more when I when I you know you see, you read a bit about the story and so then you see the highlights and you think, oh, free kicks getting a bit spicy. This is going to get stuffed in the top corner, you know, and, no, then, and then you see it, and it trickles in. You go, that's so knackered. And you think, really? 
Is that going to, you know, but fortunately, not that long after, there was quite a nice goal yeah. scored. Nine, so six minutes to go, Folly mm. plays it through and, and Nielsen, like really calm, nice mm. finish. Lovely mm. finish. And again, you sort of see, okay, yeah. that's what they were about, about this sort of clever passing from midfield, mm. uh-huh. Nielsen's pace and his finishing. The quick movements there, especially at that stage in the game, that stage in the season, blah, 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 for him to just nip in and just... and ruthlessly kind of just flick the ball past the goalkeeper. Yeah. It's, a, it's a glorious finish and fitting for him who'd been so good mm. that season and scored so many goals to get the, the clincher, if you like. Yes, Haller nearly um, got his moment of glory right mm. at the death as well. Sort of run from deep. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, you can almost feel how tired he is. You sort of feel <laughs> tired watching it, you know. Um, and then right at the, you know, as his moment, crowning second moment of glory happens, he, he scuffs it. Well, was that the moment? Because it's a very strange moment at the end, right at the end of the game, when, when the goalkeeper takes a goal kick, he plays it short to the defender. And then they kind of, Bologna just play the ball around a bit at the back and the interplay stand off it. Is that because they just know the game's gone? I think so. I mean, that's my interpretation of it. I think Because it makes no to... sense. That's the only plausible explanation. I think Inter are done by that yeah. point. They, they'd won the European Cup, I uh-huh. think, 11 days earlier and then had the final game of the season. So um, mm. Gianni Brera and his report for La Repubblica, which is like the length of most novels I've read, <laughs> um, which is online in English and is absolutely brilliant. Uh-huh. It's sort of more interesting than the game. <laughs> but yeah, he he sort of a trip he he talks throughout about how Inter are sort of heavy led, yeah. tired from their exertions. Uh-huh. Um so by sort of minute eighty nine that's definitely true. Mm. And it was a, a feature of Herrera's side. They they were capable of blowing up right at the end of seasons. If you think of of sixty seven they they completely lose it in the second half against Celtic in in that final, yeah. and they say you know you talk. I mean, Burgnich is very clear that kind of he just sort of mentally, physically, he was gone. He had nothing left, and he just sort of get the game, even though they're only two one down, get the game over. Like we can't mm. get, and they end up sort of chucking away the league that season. Just you know, again, the league season carried on after the European Cup final, mm. and they just had nothing left in the tank. So I think the they look out on the Herrera drove them to such a level they yeah. they could reach yeah. that cliff edge, and I think that's what you saw in the last quarter of an hour here. Indeed. But they were still European champions that season, they, so not a disaster. Another possible, th- I mean, another minor factor maybe is the crowd was very heavily partisan as yeah. well. Yeah, because um, outside of Milan, it was they were the underdogs that people. Yeah, there was the kind of anti-Milan feeling. Bernardini was from Rome as well, mm. so leading up to the game, bars had kind of pictures of him in the window, and so you know everybody in Rome was like an honorary Bologna fan. That yeah, day. sure. So. Um, they were badly outnumbered uh-huh. in the stadium, so I don't know if that was a factor as yeah. well. So there's great scenes of celebration, and of course it was Bologna's seventh and, and currently still last Serie A title win. I mean, they're, they're bigger, they've got more history than you know your sort of casual Serie A fan may read. I mean, only Genoa, Definitely. yeah, only Genoa, Inter, <laughs> Milan, and Juventus have won more Serie A titles than them in history. The following season, they the season after the playoff we're talking about, they were knocked out of the European Cup by a coin toss in the prelim. <sighs> Which, you know, I'm sort of quite annoyed about, really, having got quite into this story. Yeah, it's just, you know. it's just no way to settle a yeah. football match. And Inter won it, you know, so yeah. it sort of sums up the divergence <laughs> after, since then, really. Indeed, um, indeed. Well, yeah, no, I haven't come close, really. Since yeah. Then. Well, Dan, it's been fascinating unpacking that story Enjoyed with you. It. Thank you very much indeed. Um, I believe on uh, in issue 36 of the Blizzard is where your piece is on that. So if, if you want to know more, if there is more to know, which I'm sure there is because <laughs> nothing is conclusive with certain elements of that story, then do check out issue 36 of the Blizzard. And of course, for more stories like that, check out theblizzard.co.uk. Uh, but Dan, thank you very much indeed. It's thank been you. an absolute pleasure. Jonathan, pleasure as always. Thank you very much for listening to the 
the greatest games podcast on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. We'll see you next week. Quello del lato della Tribuna Tevere ha agitato la bandiera. L'arbitro consacra in questo momento il Bologna campione d'Italia. Grande momento di emozione. Congratulazioni da parte dei giocatori interisti ai vincitori ed ecco inquadrato Bernardini vinto, commosso dalla fatica, dall'emozione. This was a Stakhanov production.